Hey everyone, welcome to episode 1.9 of the MVP pod. This is your host, Mathusen. And I'm Harry. And our goal is to make building successful products easier by sharing stories and learnings of other products and builders. In today's pod, we talk with Sebastian, who's a co-founder of Hey Milo. Hey Milo is a generative AI voice agent for the recruitment industry. It conducts interviews with applicants and allows hiring teams to evaluate candidates efficiently and effectively. Sebastian peels back the burden on creating Hey Milo talking about how he built the MVP, his vision for Himalo, and how he incorporates customer feedback into the product roadmap. Later in the episode, we talk about human-AI interaction, how he sees this technology evolving with regards to safety, and the pace of innovation. And for the cherry on top, Spatian's got some real, down-to-earth advice for all of you early-stage founders out there. So settle in, and let's get this conversation started. Why don't we just start by, you know... Talking about a bit about by your background, you know where you went to school, the companies you worked at, and uh, how that kind of led you to you know starting Himalo. Yeah, so started my career as an engineer, and then eventually transitioned into a product manager. Uh, worked at companies like Microsoft and Instagram, and then later a company called Attentive. Um, and I think like a common theme across all these different companies was like I would always work on these like zero to one products. So I was an early PM on Microsoft Teams, then later like an early PM on Instagram Reels. And then at Attentive, that was just kind of a startup in general. So a few different things there. Um, And I think I always wanted to work on my own startup, but it was just a matter of like time and when I felt kind of financially comfortable doing that. Um, And the initial startup that me and my co-founder worked on was a company called Refer Market. Basically, it helped people get job referrals to companies by matching job seekers and employees at companies based on their backgrounds. Um, the reason why I started that company was I saw like a huge gap between kind of people's abilities to land jobs at different companies based on where they grew up. And specifically when I moved out to Seattle to work at Microsoft, I noticed a lot of the the kind of like kids, like the people graduating were able to get jobs at Microsoft, Google really easily because they have family and friends who already work at those companies and can kind of help them get a role there versus folks like from like back home in like Toronto who didn't really have that same network and as a result, weren't able to land some of those more high paying, you know, quote unquote coveted kind of jobs. Right. Um, and so I built refer market kind of like address that gap. Um, and then worked on that, with like my co-founder for like seven, eight months. Um, and then we had like kind of like a strategic acquirer come by who was interested in purchasing the, the platform. And we were also starting to kind of like think about ways that we can like work on something that had a bigger opportunity. We realized that refer market the initial startup was kind of limited there. Um, so sold refer market. And then eventually through kind of like a number of different failed experiments got to like where we are with like, Hey Milo. I guess both of those startups, both refer market and Hey Milo are kind of in the recruitment industry. They're both in different parts of the recruitment cycle. Um, but we're curious about how, you know, what kind of inspired you to get into that space? You mentioned earlier that you identified that gap and around that time, there were a lot of like layoffs that were starting to happen as well. Um, So how did market timing impact that and what got you into that recruitment industry? Yeah. So with Hey Milo, it was kind of uh, unexpected that we landed back in recruiting. In all honesty, we were actually looking at like, just like a variety of different areas. We like did something in like the content creator space for a little while. We did something in like, kind of like a more marketing type tool for a little while. And then eventually like from like a lot of those experiments, we fell back into the recruiting space and specifically solving something where it would help companies like interview candidates, which I can go into more details about Hey Milo. But 
Um, to go to, I guess, like the, the meta question around like market timing, when we started with fur market, I think the big trend was like people want to go work at like these like big tech companies, but then those big tech companies like Google, Facebook, they started doing mass layoffs, right? And so our platform went from quickly growing each week to like falling off a cliff with all the employees that we kind of accumulated onto the platform were from these big tech companies. So we had to pivot and figure out a way to acquire these startups and small to mid-sized companies who were hiring, figure out ways to attract those type of customers and so on. Um, but yeah, anyways, eventually that ended up kind of working out and we were able to get to a point where we were financially making pretty solid revenue and profits and so on. Um, and then, yeah, over time, like once we sold that, we kind of wanted to stay away from recruiting uh, in all honesty. Uh, we saw it as kind of like a crowded space. And you'll see a lot of VCs and a lot of companies as well try to not build in the recruiting space. It's considered kind of like a, an overcrowded space, a space where there hasn't been really a winner in a long time. And then when we started going deeper into what we could build, leveraging like kind of Gen AI, um, that's when we saw that a lot of folks weren't investing in this area, but there was like a really large gap, I'd say, or like a, like a, a problem that can actually really be solved there. A lot of people are using these voice agents to kind of solve for like customer support or sales and so on. And then those industries were getting pretty crowded, right? But we didn't really see like a, a solution for recruiting. And it was becoming pretty clear that like, there's a lot of advantages of actually selling into recruiting and then eventually cross-selling into other orgs over time. Um, so that's kind of how we ended up sticking with like, uh, hey, Milo, um, and why we feel kind of like bullish on what we're building right now. Yeah, I feel like great point that Harry brought up about market timing. It seems like it also plays a role in Hey Milo as well. But before I want to like dive into that, I think maybe it'll be nice to let, let the listeners know what Hey Milo is and yeah. uh, give them an idea what it, what what it's all about. Yeah, essentially Hey Milo is a generative AI voice agent that enables companies to interview and evaluate candidates at scale, uh, specifically for like high volume roles. Um, and so the idea is that right now, like companies get like hundreds, if not thousands of applicants, but they can only look at like maybe 10 to 15% of applicants at the top of the recruiting funnel. Um, and then even then it still takes them two to three weeks to screen, interview, and then determine who are the right candidates to move forward. So that leaves out like 85% of candidates from even getting a chance to interview with the company. And so our idea is by more effectively interviewing candidates at the top of funnel and allowing companies to scale, it'll actually save companies down the funnel from having to do these final round interviews and improve kind of pass rate and so on and lead to improved like employee productivity, but also reduce like the cogs they're spending at the top of funnel. Um, so that's, that's basically like, Hey Milo, um, in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, and I guess you kind of touched on the real pain points that you're solving for on like recruiters that are constrained on time. But how do you also see that maybe benefiting the end applicant? Some people may be a bit wary to speak with an AI agent, but um, there could be benefits. Like if your resume is not maybe as strong, but then your interview skills are, you can really communicate that well in interview form. It gives them an opportunity to, to communicate that better. But curious, like maybe what's like the pitch to the interview candidate? Yeah, so the pitch for the interview candidate is like they now have an opportunity to go beyond just like using their resume to get an interview, but now they actually can interview regardless. So they right. at least show their skills. Um, and the way we've kind of built Hey Milo is that like it can ask a set of adaptive questions. So say you bring up that you know Python, it'll go deeper into your skills using Python. Or like say you bring up that you use Python in a certain project, it'll ask you how you've used it and evaluate that. So a candidate now can really talk about how they've been able to demonstrate those skills, right? And instead of just like being a line item, which says like I've improved 
you know, I don't know, resiliency by 20%. Like we can actually yeah. be like, okay, how do they actually do that? Like, do they actually have that skill? I feel like it's cool that, hey, Malo, like you can't just kind of BS by adding keywords and yeah. hoping to get on top of that, uh, uh, get shortlisted that way. So like, how does that, how does it compare to like existing software that's being used by other, by recruiters or the HR teams? Yeah. I assume they're using something, right? To be able to filter through these, resumes these hundreds of thousands of resumes even so yeah, yeah i'm just curious like, why this right now yeah the predominant way that like companies still kind of like screen like high volume applicants is through resume keywords that is still like the number one tool um but that as you guys can imagine is not the best indicator of someone's credentials or skills there have been like other tools that have been built over the last i guess 10 to 15 years to try to solve this um so one uh competitor in particular is HireVue. Um, what HireVue does is like companies can set up a set of static questions and then candidates can just record their responses, but there's nothing there around being able to do adaptive follow-up questions or anything like that. There's also no evaluation, uh, involved there. So it's a bit like of a, it's a poorer candidate experience and also less of a indicator for candidate skills. And there's a few other players that have tried to mimic what HireVue is doing at lower price points, but we feel like what we're doing uniquely is like the whole adaptive questions capabilities, right? which gives like a good candidate experience, but then also allows companies to understand if a candidate's a good fit or not um, more effectively. Yeah. And I think that's really highlighted in some of the examples when I was going through your website um, and there was like a machine learning engineer interview. Um, one of the questions was kind of around uh, past projects that were used. And then the interviewee was explaining their project. And then the, the AI bot was kind of asking what, why that model versus another kind of those follow-up yeah. questions is really where and the insight comes versus just recorded exactly you know, scripted yeah, yeah. answer yeah i'm curious like on that note so that was an example that i mentioned of machine learning and that's a machine learning engineering job is more high tech um but i'm curious what industries you see adopting this more uh early like maybe you know you mentioned like high volume uh kind of applications perhaps but yeah curious what your thoughts are there yeah, so it's been primarily like high volume type of roles. Um, and it's been arranged between a more high skill worker. So you can imagine a tech employee or something like that, as well as mm -hmm. like a kind of like blue collar worker type role. So like frontline worker has become a common one that's being used on the platform, retail associates, um, people working in factories and stuff like that. Uh, that's becoming like a, a big one. And the thing about those roles, there's like companies have like hundreds of those roles and like have literally thousands of applicants, right? And they're pretty high turnover too. So the need is coming a little bit more from that angle right now, um, which is kind of actually contrary to our hypothesis and the initial market we were targeting. Um, I think we are in a stage right now where we're letting the market decide where we focus more, right? Um, and we're partnering with a lot of recruiting agencies to help us figure out, okay, where is that market demand right now? Um, instead of just trying to focus on a specific niche and, you know, potentially guessing or hypothesizing incorrectly. I was just wondering what's kind of the initial feedback or impressions from potential customers. Uh, how do they feel about, about this? Cause I feel like, uh, like, like just thinking about the idea of conversating with another AI agent, if you piss idea a couple of years ago, people would be like, what the hell? That's weird. But today it's a lot more accepted because of the innovation in AI and people are realizing like how much more effective it is, uh, how much more efficient they can get by using yeah. these tools. So uh, what are the, the the initial impressions for customers? Because I think HeyMail is pretty unique in the way it's trying to solve this problem. 
Yeah. So <laughs> it's a mixed bag when we initially kind of pitch it to, to these head of talents, head of recruiting at both large companies as well as uh, recruiting agencies. Um, you will get a bit of hesitation in the sphere of, hey, are these guys trying to like replace my job or my team's job? Um, but once we do get over that hurdle and once we show stats on like kind of ROI we've been able to prove for other customers or other folks we partnered with, then it typically changes because folks, the head of talent, head of recruiting, they see the efficiency win, they see the candidate improved experience as well, right? Um, and then also once they eventually start using Hey Milo, I think it's been really positive overall. Um, we've definitely made pivots and iterations of kind of who our ICP is. And so I think we've started now identifying the set of folks who they, they feel like they need something like this, right? Um, while we, we initially started kind of going after like startups and stuff like that to try to get them to use Hey Milo with the hypothesis that they don't have the right skills to interview for some of these roles. But then over time, we realized that wasn't really the right hypothesis. And we started going after these larger agency, recruiting agencies and like companies and stuff like that. Um, and there's been much more of like a market pull. Um, yeah. While, when doing that. Regarding like stakeholders. So you mentioned a few different, so there's the large companies who may be hiring like a Walmart or a Target. They're hiring for you know retail associates, but there's also like recruiting agencies who, and their sole job is to, to get that kind of pipeline of talent. Uh, I'm curious how you see that relationship between uh, those recruiting agencies. Like, is that more of an end customer or is that, you know, in a, like a substitute that you would say like your product has versus theirs? I'd say they are an end customer for the most part. And in any way, they also can be like a distribution channel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, where they sell the services that Hey Milo provides. So companies that they're already working with. So they kind of play mm -hmm. uh, a dual role there. Um, I'd say we're seeing the most success from them wanting to leverage Hey Milo, uh, just because their bottom line depends on the number of placements that they can make. And what Hey Milo can help them do is instead of two to three weeks to interview all these candidates and it being a highly manual process, it's, you know, 24 hours to find the right candidate now uh, with very minimal human intervention and so on. Yeah. Yeah. But you've seen like agencies want to leverage us in two ways. One where they just use us under the hood to help speed up their work. And then sometimes where they actually, they're like a channel partner in selling Hey Milo. Um, so we're experimenting with both to, to kind of understand both of these channels or ways of distribution. Maybe we could talk about maybe something's a bit general in the B2B SaaS space, right? Like when you're selling to another company, who generally gives a nod that they, that you could, that the company could, you know, use that product or not. I'm curious, like, who would you really, who's the person that is most effective to talk to in trying to sell this product? Yeah, it's, it's the most like important decision maker is usually like the head of talent or head of recruiting, but that's not, not necessarily like the only decision maker, I'd say, right? Like they, like sometimes it's like the COO, sometimes it could be the CPO, it's even like the CTO, right? Um, sometimes it depends again on like the hiring managers involved with like that specific roles, because they're ultimately yeah. the one team they're going to be bringing on this talent. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a variety of folks. And I'd say it's usually a head of talent plus some other set of like cross-functional set of folks, right? Yeah. Uh, and what we've realized when they're kind of selling, there's not like a consistent playbook for every single company. It'll, I think when we're just talking to customers, it's important to like just figure out early who are like the decision makers. Regarding MVP. So one of the, the themes of our podcast is getting to the MVP or, or distilling all these different features into really what's core for your customers. Like when we were thinking about your product and where it could be five, 10 years from now, something there's a lot of exciting areas we thought that, you know, we can grow into, but I'm curious about your start starting point. How did yeah. you kind of land on, you know, kind of the audio 
only feature of generative AI versus maybe video and kind of how did you hone into the to the area that you're in right now? Yeah. So when for us, like when we're thinking about like the MVP, it comes down to thinking about the end-to-end -end experience. What is at minimal needed for someone to purchase this, right? And with B2B, when you're thinking about MVPs, they have to be a little bit more built out than a B2C MVP. For example, like the MVP we have for, for Firmark, it was literally a Google form, right? And that felt good enough. But with something like Hey Milo, if you talk to a set of folks and you try to suss out if this is a need, they're going to be like, no, they don't want to lose their job. Um, or they're they're going to like, they're, they're, they're not going to believe it can do what it can do, right? So we realized like pretty early, we actually have to build voice capabilities, obviously not spend like months doing it, build it as quickly as possible, but we need to do something which at a minimum can do a basic interview and at a basic evaluate candidates, right? Um, and specifically can differentiate a little bit from like what's out there in the market because otherwise we're just building a, a potentially cheaper version of, for example, what, whatever basic screening solution is out there, right? And so that was the principle and the way we thought about the MVP. Um, so something that we can go to customers with demo and see if they can imagine themselves using this product. And even then, right, like you would have to push to get like yeses from folks being like, yeah, I'm okay with using this, with the idea that like it's going to be a pilot kind of thing that we're going to leverage internally. And then you have to show ROI before someone's going to purchase, right? So that's going to involve more building. Um, so I know there's a common approach is build very lean. And like, I think that's every startup founder should have that mindset. But at the same time, I, there's like a minimal remarkable product that is like required. Um, and with B2B, it's that, that level is like becoming higher and higher these days, I'd say. Um, so yeah, like there was, that's kind of the approach we had. And even to this day, like there's still new features that we build only once we like get enough customer feedback, right? But you do need to have that like minimal remarkable product and you got to think through the end-to-end -end customer journey, think about what it's going to take to get someone to purchase, right? And then show that have ROI, build up appropriate features and then just kind of continue to iterate. Yeah. Especially for like an existing kind of process that's already there. How do you show value over what's already there in the existing kind of market, yeah. right? Like, exactly. I guess that minimum remarkable product is kind of highlighting that difference, I guess. And whatever your MVP is should be at minimum highlighting, or you should have that feature built out. At, at, at I the agree. Minimum. Yeah. I agree. yeah. And then you mentioned that it seems like the bar is getting higher for, uh, for B2B products. And I agree with that. I feel like the common thing about B2B products is that they're ugly and very hard to use. And yeah. it seems like that's changing a lot. So like people building in the B2B space has to step up the game in terms of like the UI, the UX, um, yeah. the user journey and things like that. Uh, one thing I was, I want to ask like, um, while building the MVP, how did you guys go about like making sure you're not building something that may be nice to have rather than it, it like it needs to be there yeah so what we did is we talked to a bunch of like, these head of talent head of recruiting right and asked them what it would take to ultimately purchase a software to help them interview and for them it came down to if it can find us the best talent quicker right at a fraction of the cost so we realized if you can hit on those three like those those three kind of metrics you would show roi and you get people purchasing this like becomes a no-brainer there right and so that was kind of like our bar and that's how we were prioritized everything to, uh, in our MVP. We've on purpose not added, for example, a human avatar to the experience. It's not something that ultimately hits across those three metrics of helping a company find the best talent quicker and cheaper. That makes sense. So, so I guess you kept, just kept asking those three questions every time you came up with an idea. Because uh, I feel like just in general, people can get lost in those you know uh, ideas and keep uh, building it on and on. And 
never end up building something that actually yeah. that customer I think that like, you need. Yeah. Especially with like B2B, like people like B2B like decision maker purchasers, right? They're gonna purchase if it can help them like make money or save money, right? So like you I think you have to always kind of go back to to that. Yeah. I feel like oftentimes it could be, you know, it may it may not be what you want, but it may be what the market needs. Like it may be cool to build some feature that you're personally interested in, but you know, focusing on what's actually needed is probably the better approach for for building a company. Yeah. So how are you currently incorporating feedback from customers and shaping your product vision as co-founder? Are you more uh, like more on the product side, like in shaping that vision currently? And where, where do you see this business of this product um, in, in the next few years? Yeah, I, I kind of play like more like the product and sales uh, side of stuff. The things that I'm looking at is when I'm trying to sell, what are the reasons why someone's not going to use this and try to incorporate that into feedback to things that you prioritize or don't prioritize. Um, and sometimes you'll hear some like outlandish stuff. So being able to kind of have the right filter, behind, that clearly does not make sense. Or like they're just taking us on a roller coaster of reason there. Even if you build that, it's still going to be a no. Um, and then when companies start using this, right, try to tie everything back to like, is this going to help them find the best talent quicker, cheaper, whatever, right? Um, and make sure that that is, because that's ultimately what's going to lead to like increased usage. So we discover kind of those gaps through the conversations with customers, but then also looking at metrics, right? Why are candidates maybe dropping off or why are companies struggling to figure out what this feedback about the candidate means, right? Why are, you know, maybe like our, whatever it may be, there's many different kinds of iterations we've had to make based on like either conversations or just like, you know, um, looking at metrics and seeing certain things. Um, and then to answer like the second question you had around like, where do we see like, Hey Milo kind of growing? I think there's two paths that we can go, right? We go either really deep into recruiting, right. And solve beyond kind of this initial use case of like, kind of like top of funnel screening that might be like, we do like the second round interviews, right. We might, you know, focus on a specific, you know, vertical as well. Like we might, for example, focus on software engineering, who knows, it might be, it might not be that vertical. And then we go deep that way. Or the other use case could be that we, you know, focus on like ourselves as like a voice agent layer. And then like we help, you know, solve for screening overall. Um, and there's many use cases like that can go into like qualifying inbound leads and like, you know, doing like user research, right. There's all sorts of ways that like it can pivot into like a more horizontal, uh, layer in technology. Um, and we've explored some of these already. Like, there is one company who was using Hey Milo to like qualify sales leads. Um, and we built a kind of custom just because like we're early and we want to learn what is the potential business ROI from, you know, doing this use case, right? Um, so we'll see. I think it's too early to pick a path. Um, but I think over the next year, we'll probably figure out which of those two uh, d directions we'll look into. I think we should probably also shout out your co-founder, Remy. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> shout out uh... to Remy. That makes me lose hair. Uh, <laughs> Saved their butt a lot of times. So yeah, he's been, I've known him for a really long time. Um, we were boys back in like Seattle. Um, yeah. I'd be working our last startup together. Like guys, like, I don't think I'd like, I could have found like a better CTO. Right. Um, I think we work really well together in like a lot of different ways. Like he is like the master of uh, coming up with like solutions to problems. Right. What is, what is the, that dynamic like? Cause you guys were together for, for market and now he Milo. Uh, it seems like you guys have a great relationship. Uh, like, what are your kind of advice around like finding a co-founder that that you can have a good relationship with? No, I I I, I hate his guts. Uh, you have <laughs> no, I'm saying, but um, I think like what's important when you have like a co-founder, it's like someone you can like you can have a range of emotions with, right? You can get angry with, you can go through the tough times with, right? There's so many ups and downs. Like, 
like, yeah, you can be celebrating success yesterday and then the next day you have literally the worst news possible. Right? So having someone who you can go through those experiences with, right? And I think very importantly, like, like be co-founders of someone you can get angry with and know you guys can move forward. Like, cause you're going to get, there will be so many times where you're going to get like annoyed at each other. You're going to get like ticked off or pissed off and it's normal. So make sure you are partnering with someone where you can have that like emotion or you can fight a war together in a way, right? Um, I, I like, so we were in a startup accelerator last June. And so there were 12 companies on the accelerator. I'd say half the companies, the co-founders knew each other for a, a decent amount of time. Right. And then six of the co-founders pretty new, but like pretty name brand. Like they went to like Stanford, MIT, that kind of jazz. Right. Uh, five of those six companies, right. The ones where they, the co-founders didn't know each other. They, they are no longer together. The companies have dissolved in like less than six months. So I think your co-founder is like the most important part of the whole thing, right? And I think VCs also notice if sniff that if you want to raise capital and that's the kind of path you want to go, right? Like how long or how the co-founders work with each other is like such a big signal. I guess on the flip side of that, um, is there advice for going with the co-founder versus not? So I know there's a lot of solopreneurs as well, but it can be tough doing it by yourself. And I think generally the like, I guess, common advice has been to at least find a co-founder. I'm curious yeah. what your thoughts are on that and how that's kind of benefited, you know, yourself yeah. and your, your journey. I think, I think typically go with the co-founder if you can, right? Like whether that be someone you've like worked with in the past, someone you grew up with, you know, worked with on like project with together. Like that is, I would say is a preferred path. I think that's the easier path, but I've also seen some insane founders go solo and just build a team around them. Um, like one guy in particular from our startup accelerator, solo founder, but like, like he kills it. Like he, like, I think if he, I think he works best like that and then builds a team around him. Like he already put together like a really strong TTO, like head of sales. I think for him, like knowing his personality and whatever, like that's the best pop. Like, but like, I think that's like, uh, you don't see that too often. I like, I haven't seen one. Too many folks of that caliber in all honesty. Yeah. It's probably like the top of the top, right? Like that's 1%. I would consider him like. The, yeah top of the top but like he's also like he's got a certain type of like he's like a social guy but like he works yeah. well kind of solo i think yeah like from my experience working with them or talking to him and seeing him and stuff makes sense uh i think you'll be a great person to discuss this with so let's talk about like ai human interaction right um like you clearly using that in hey Mallow and in solving the problems in the recruitment space um like do you think this is going to be more and more accepted over the years? Even, for example, Google, I think it's Google, uh, where you can, you know, let the AI to call and make an appointment for you or order something for you. Uh, so it seems like companies are slowly starting to integrate this into yeah. our daily lives. Do you think it's going to be normalized? And I think 100%. I think it's inevitable, right? Like, it's just like the speed that this is going, like how much ROI it provides ultimately to like, like just humans in general, right? I think like there's this whole study of like human computer interaction, which is kind of like, how do you design good experiences and apps and stuff like that? I like, think there's going to be a whole study of like AI, human inner, like design and interaction. What's the right way to do that? Um, yeah. Whether that be like through typing, through, you know, voice, through other modalities like VR in the future. Um, it is just, it, that is going to be the future. Like there's no, like, yeah. no doubt. But that also comes with a lot of risks, right? Like even nowadays there's, there's social media accounts of people, you know, <laughs> AI generated people that you don't even, like, you can't even tell that, that they're 
not a real person, right? So do you think that we should, uh, you know, have some guardrails around that so that we're aware of the things that we're interacting with and knowing that they're AI generated or not? I mean, I think that the obvious answer is like, yes, yeah, for sure, right? Ideally, right? But like, same time, it's hard to do. I don't know how it would be done, right? Like, it's just, I mean, maybe there's ways to like detect it and like maybe like, there has to be some kind of like policies in play, but like when you add these policies and like the amount of time it takes, right. You also don't want to slow down like the rate of innovation. Right. Um, because I think that's just going to hurt like companies and honestly, it's just economic prosperity, like bottom line. Right. So yes, but like how, I guess, right. is like the right question in an ideal world. Yes. But uh, I just, yeah, I think people should yeah. just think like, be like cognizant that like hey what they're looking at might be ai generated and they should be aware right i think that's the best line of defense like having your own uh like being informed enough um, so you're not getting duped by some um you know random instagram account i don't know which one Matusin was uh talking about in particular but yeah on that note i guess you're like it's interesting you mentioned um like speed of innovation on uh with ai and that's something that we don't necessarily want to hold back um but as an AI company, like how are you like handling the speed of AI? Um, you know, we we've been like looking at open AI's a API docs and stuff and all these new features that are coming out. Even there, it's you know, there's so many new features that are available for startups to use. I'm curious how you're kind of uh what your mindset is around that, how you kind of observe that. Yeah, at this point, I think like every startup needs to understand that like AI is a commodity at this point. It's like it's like water. Yeah. It's it is there. You are like there's no such thing as like an AI company. Everyone is an AI company. Like OpenAI mm -hmm. and all these like companies have essentially allowed for everyone to integrate AI seamlessly. So you really need to think about like what beyond that is your moat and what is your differentiator and why is this something that essentially these platforms can't just do, right? Um, and so for for Hey Milo, the at first we thought like hey we're adding voice and all this like interruption handling and that's our moat, but like, that's now something that like the, the platforms are going to have to, right. And so for us, it's much beyond that. Now it's the workflows of being able to administer these voice agents, configure them effectively, uh, tune them to how you want, right. Integrate them into your existing recruiting stacks, which we don't think that the platforms can do necessarily as well. And we are also doing our own set of stuff around mining data to tune the models that we have doing reinforcement learning so that when companies start using us, it becomes harder to leave. And then over time, as we start going deeper, either in the recruiting stack or more horizontally, there'll be other kind of chain reactions of these capabilities that build on top of each other, which I think are going to be difficult for a platform to, to do in the same kind of way. Right. Um, but same time, like, yeah, like you don't know exactly what's going to come out. So like opening, I literally destroyed, like, I think it was like 20 companies and YC winner 2030. Right. Um, and so like, I think startups and companies should be just cognizant of the capability and what is likely for the platforms to go and do next. Yeah. I guess it's not as simple as just this plus AI anymore. Cause that eight plus AI is kind of democratized to everyone. So everyone's yeah. got access to it. Um, it's interesting. You mentioned like building your moat though, around kind of AI, sort of how you use AI is kind of like how you can build a moat as well. Like how are you using it to the best of its abilities or you know, allowing people to use AI within their context, within their application, like that might be like a new way to build. Yeah. 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 I think like in general, that's like the, the obvious one, right? Like everyone like who watches any podcast out there will be like, yeah, you need your own data to make the model even better for your specific use case. But like, 
I think that is still just like a, a thin layer on top, right? Like there needs to be much more built on top, which makes, which gives you a moat, right? Um, and give you kind of like differentiated capabilities that make it hard for the platform to do and hard, like a unique enough reason for like your end users to want to use you over the platforms, right? Um, so like the data mode is like great, but like that's not, if you're just relying on the data mode, like I don't think, like that's, that's making the assumption that these models are not also just going to overtake and, you know, be good enough where like, uh, you know, a certain amount of data on top makes it like, it like is not, it's, you're assuming that the model you're assuming that models are going to underperform data growth, I guess, right? Like in AI, if that makes sense, right? Because like, what's going to make our the like AI better? Like models getting better, and then like data growing, and like the amount of data, right? So, yeah, I don't know if I explained that properly, but like, I think you need much more beyond just like just yeah for your use case. I feel like B two B customers, generally, maybe not. It maybe depends on the industry, but uh, they are generally harder to adopt newer technologies. So what do you think it's like for AI companies operating the B2B space? Is it is it easier? Like, what is that like? Yeah. Are there more challenges now? Or, or, or are just companies just more comfortable with AI? Companies? I think because there's so much hype around AI, like I think, and like companies are worried of being left behind. They are looking for that in a way. Um, but that also comes with now the fatigue of now there's so many AI companies trying to sell to these customers. Like customers are also kind of like, WTF, like AI company. All right. And there is just so much noise. Everyone is slapping on that they're an AI company. Um, but I do think there is, there's desire to innovate in spaces when historically there hasn't been a desire to innovate. And you can see that in like manufacturing to like logistics to wherever the really old industries like accounting, finance, et cetera. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my kind of point of view. So you, when it comes to go to market, you really got to figure out a way to cut through the noise, right. To effectively get to these customers. Cause once you can show ROI to them, I think they are willing to adopt. And we, we've seen that like, um, yeah. I think, uh, I'm going to pivot a little bit to advice for founders. Now that you're a second time founder, I'm curious about what you've felt like were lessons learned on your, your journey. Um, you know, how you kind of got to your, your successful first exit and then and how do you, um, you know, what, what would you give as advice for, for upcoming founders now? I think there's like a lot. I feel like don't be a founder where you feel like you need to go to a bunch of networking events to, I don't know, market your startup or or whatever. Like I've seen that, like that type of founder and I feel like they don't go very far, right? Um, so that's, don't be that person. It's like one advice uh, I'd give, right? Like obviously go to like a certain amount that you like, whatever, but like focus more on your product business and through customers, right? Like um, other kind of advice I'd give to founders Make sure where you're solving is like a real need and problem and think objectively about like why it's a problem, right? Because like you should talk to your customers and understand their needs and stuff like that. But you also have to like digest that sometimes um, and extract that and use your own thinking on top of that. Because like sometimes customers have been in the space for so long, they have a way of viewing things, right? That might not be super aligned with like reality in a way, if that makes sense. Um, and so sometimes you got to really like just put your hat on and be like, all right, like this clearly makes sense of the problem because their goal is to do this and like they're not able to hit that goal and even though they said this which is a little different like this is what i think they really mean right so i think that's like a key uh thing that's like founder you should be doing like be really critical in terms of like analyzing your feedback from customers mm -hmm. other advice for founders this is like one that like you're gonna hear a lot but like your distribution and your go-to-market is just as important as the problem too like because you need distribution enough like awareness to get feedback that your product is the right product or not the right product 
And then, okay, this is the final last one. I'm like starting to ramble here, my bad. Make sure you're like, you're identifying the right ICP, right? Like I think so many people, like when you're, when it comes to product market fit, it might not be product market fit for a specific set of customers, but that you might find product market fit or closer to that with another set of customers. So for example, in our case, when we first started building Hey Milo, we built a bunch of startups and like they were rejecting this like organ failure. That means like, we're like, all right, let's start trying to go after larger enterprises. And we suddenly started seeing like this market pull, right? Where they wanted to use this. They were really excited about it. We were able to see ROI pretty quickly. Um, so that's another like uh, piece of advice. Um, that sure, I what's our ICP? Ideal customer profile. Like okay. we're right customers, right? The idea is that like a problem that does everything for everyone is a, pro a product that does nothing for anyone. Um, so when you're a startup, you usually want to focus on like a specific set of customers because like there are so many products out there that kind of now appeal to the masses, like Google, Facebook, whatever, right? So you want to like solve for a specific niche, build really deeply for them because their current solutions are not working for them. And then you kind of expand from there as you grow as a business and company. And I guess that allows you to maintain that focus initially on what to actually build. Otherwise, you're going to be building a little bit of everything, which may not yeah. be what people need or not really solve for, for their real problems. Exactly. exactly. And I think it's like really yeah. tricky, right? Like, this mixture of finding the right set of customers, like iterating on their feedback, ignoring some like the noise, right? But making sure that that customer is more worthwhile or the right set of people versus another set. It's a bit of like it's science and art. If it was purely science, everyone would get it right, right? Like you'd be able to mathematically figure out a formula to get to product market fit. But it, there's a lot of like art involved. And it's a lot of triangulating this information. Like you mentioned, like all these different perspectives from customers, but yeah. they have their own view of what they've seen in their history, but may not be reflective of what's going to be happening in the future. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Especially so for B2B customers, right? Because I assume everyone has their own set of tools and they wanted to integrate well with all these different tools. So you probably get like different solutions and different, you know, thoughts from these different B2B customers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's really hard to even like, kind of like triangulate who your ICP is because you might talk to two companies who you think are in the same ICP, but then you realize there's subtle differences here and there, right? And so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that figuring out your ICP is like one of the most difficult things to do. Cool. Uh, thanks, Sebastian, for coming on. What is your call to action for listeners and how do you, you know, what do you want them to do? Check out. Yeah, uh, just go to heymilo.ai, um, sign up for a demo. Um, typically, you can book a demo within 24 hours and then you'll hop on a call with either me or my co-founder, Rami. Um, we'll do a call to understand your use case for wanting to use HeyMilo and like why it's important for you and why it's all the meaningful problem. We'll show you a little demo and then um, you can get signed up once we send over uh, kind of like a contract and stuff. Awesome. And, Nothing too. And, <laughs> and where can they find you? Uh, just HeyMilo.ai. Okay. Uh, awesome. Thanks, Vision. We will all right. see you again on the pod hopefully soon. Cool, cool. All right. All right.